Welcome back to Survivor Analytics, where this week we don't have an episode to analyze because for the first time ever, we are looking back at a whole season that has just happened and looking forward to what comes next. I'm the voice of the people. With me, as always, is the true expert. Say hi, Clyde. What's up, party people? I'm excited that we can hang out today on our rocking chairs in our retirement home and reflect on this season that we just watched. Yeah, this is us uh, being washed and looking back on the good old days. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's looking back on the good old days or if it's just going, well, these were some pretty good days. Season 44 was a pretty good season, I thought. And uh, later on in the episode, we will be revealing what season we're watching next because in the off season we watch old seasons and I watch them for the first time and Clyde knows who's going to win and watches me stumble through the ignorance. But what I want to talk about now is the legacy of season 44 and the lessons that, I mean, especially I want to know what you think Clyde, but the lessons that future potential players can learn from this season. Uh, that's that's kind of what I want to talk about, but what do you want to talk about? Yeah, I think we can start talking about the season at large. You said you like this season. Yeah. Would you say this is your favorite season that you've seen? Do you like it more than Samoa? I loved Samoa. Um, I liked the ending of this season better, but I think I liked Samoa better overall. Okay, so what about this season held it back for you compared to Samoa? Because I feel like most people would say this is better than Samoa. I mean, first and foremost, there's no T-ball. Uh, okay, of course. Like, let's just let's get that out of the way. I mean, maybe it just comes down to this, and we'll see as we continue to build up our data set and our, our past experience, but it might just come down to, as I have the sense that as the show has evolved, Samoa was what, 16, 26? What, what season was it? Oh, uh, season 19. 19. I knew it had a 6 esque number yeah you were a really close right there you should have been like 63 <laughs> is that what it is <laughs> i knew i knew it had either a six or a nine because it's the same shape it's just different yeah anyway it feels like as the show has evolved and grown into this competitive phenomenon with an avid fan base it has drilled down more on the game itself and less on the uh, surrounding atmospheric things like huge rewards or aspects of camp life that kind of add to the social gameplay or, or make the social life more complicated, like the chickens on Samoa. Yeah. Uh, the rewards, right? There was the pirate ship. There was the uh, Palm Pre one, right? Which, yeah, the waterfall. Goofy with sponsorship. The waterfalls. Yeah. And so I think there's some of that sort of thing where the game feels more distilled now into its core elements of you go play a challenge, then you sit around and talk, right? I think what I liked better about Samoa is you'd go play a challenge and then you'd come back and like, hey, maybe you're going to go spearfishing with Shambo's broken snorkel, or maybe you're going to go uh, pester the chickens that Shambo takes care of and lets loose, or burn somebody's socks, like... I don't know. I, I think it's sort of the the atmospheric stuff is what I like better about Samoa. Plus, Russell Hance. I mean, don't go look at his Twitter lately. Not great. <laughs> but uh, 
on the show. I loved his villainous play. And as much as I loved um, Jam Jam, and uh, I mean, in the end, it was Jam Jam, but uh, I don't <laughs> Only know. Only Jam Jam. <laughs> Jam Jam and Lauren and Jamie. Yeah. And, and Franny, obviously, and Matt, who is not good enough for Franny, but has won the lottery, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, there's a lot of great characters on 44, but I think Samoa's, and maybe it's uh, kind of sentimentality, but I like those characters better on Samoa. I think that 44 has a deeper cast. Like some of the forgettable Ugh. people on Samoa are so forgettable. Like uh, oh, yeah. Kelly did not speak at all <laughs> when she was on that right. in Samoa. Mm. I don't even know if you remember Kelly. She was that forgettable. But even the people that were voted out in the early merge of 44 still felt like valuable characters. Like they easily could have buried Matt in the edit, but he still played a decent role in the season despite placing like 11th place. Yeah, or or Matthew with his um, injury, right? Yeah, but he yeah. was still such a compelling character, and his idol play kept him his influence around. Or yeah. Helen, even with her early outing. So I feel like the cast is deeper, but the hop end of 44 probably isn't as strong as the top end of Samoa. Russell's mm-hmm. one of those characters that will forever be remembered in Survivor history. And while I think there are very memorable figures on 44, nobody reaches that same peak. My biggest complaint with 44 as a season is I think the first half of it is just straight up bad. The first month of this podcast, we hopped on and it just felt like constant complaining. Yeah. I was looking through some of the eliminations on just the Wikipedia page and we had a three episode stretch without a normal vote. We had the Matthew elimination, then there was the mergatory and then they did that weird twist at the final 11 with the control vote that was just absurdly confusing. So I think those components of the season really dragged it down. And if you look at the viewership yeah. numbers for 44, they peak right before that string of crazy twists or maybe even in the middle of it. And then it declines after. Oh, man. And I think many people that were new to the show saw that and were so confused and didn't feel motivated to come back to watch again. Interesting, interesting. So so I guess looking forward from that perspective, do you think we'll see those kinds of twists in 45? Make a prediction. Lock it in, Clyde. Oh, well, I actually have all of the twists written down that I was hoping we could go through one by one and give our official takes on. Oh, oh I love it. Let's do it. There are many more twists than you might actually think. I have a list of eight. It's so many for a 14-episode show. Yeah. Not all of these are specific to 44 itself. Like some of them have been twists featured in the entire new era, but I still think they're worth talking about. So we'll go through one by one. We'll call this bop or flop. Are these twists that we want to see back in the game? We'll start off with the premiere where we had sweat or savvy, where the contestants had to decide between a brain teaser or moving those coconuts. Is this something that you want to see back in the game? I actually really liked Bop or Flop. Not Bop or Flop. Slop, <laughs> slop or Sweat. No, it's not sweat Slop or, or Sweat. Savvy. Oh my God. The fact that it's Sweat or Savvy, I think it's a Bop. I think the people we saw, it was Helen and Carson and Brandon and Matthew. Yeah. I mean, it was a really great way to introduce those characters. And I thought it was a great way to open the season. I think it's a Bop. I think you think it's a Flop, though. I do think it's a flop because it was the fourth time that I've seen it. Oh, 
Like I'm okay having Sweat or Savvy every once in a while, but when you include it at the beginning of every season for four seasons in a row, it feels kind of gimmicky because then the contestants come in knowing that they're going to have to make this decision between the two. The main benefit that I see out of it is the relationships that form. Like we saw a connection between Matthew and Brandon build in that moment when they're moving the coconuts back and forth. We don't see that with Carson and Helen. Uh, Carson ends up voting out Helen later. But yeah, I think that's the real benefit of the sweater savvy, not the activity itself. I think a good rule of thumb for good survivor is there shouldn't be, especially at this stage, I don't want there to be anything assumed season to season with the exception of like very broad generalizations, right? Yeah. You should never be able to assume, oh, there's going to be this kind of challenge or, oh, they use this puzzle almost every year. I think they should change. And maybe this is a hot take. I don't think there should be a standard number for the merge. I like that idea because otherwise players can anticipate the merge and change their votes accordingly. Sweat or savvy, we'll put that in as a bop for you, a flop for me. It's neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Next one that we have is the three tribe format. Do you like starting the season with three tribes as opposed to two? I have previously seen a two i samoa was three tribes no samoa was two it was galoo versus foa foa what yeah oh i could have sworn (laughs) there there was another one it was purple versus yellow yeah you're right you're right i like a three tribe format similar to the uh system that we see in american politics the two-party system right if you compare the two-party system to like a european parliament that has like seven parties Okay, it's it's a much more interesting dynamic when there are not just two clearly defined sides, because when you have three or more, there's more variation, there's more compromise, there's more ins and outs and temporary work togethers and complexity. Right. And so I think three is a bop. You know, I think four would be too many. Because I think four is just hard to keep track of. Oh, yeah. And those tribes would have to be too small. But I think three is a good number. Bop. I disagree again. (laughs) Oh, boy. Welcome to Bop or Flop, where Jack likes things and Clyde hates them. I think we're ready to go back to a two-tribe format. And then at some point in the pre-merge, they can do a tribe swap and put everybody into a three-tribe format. I think that's more interesting. I'm down for that. Yeah. When you look at these votes in the pre-merge, in the three-tribe format, first, it's a lot of young women getting voted out because when you have such a small group of people, physical prowess becomes really important, and that just disadvantages uh, younger women typically. And also, when you have six players within a tribe, it's so risky to not vote with the majority. So almost every pre-merge vote on this season is close to unanimous. I have them right here. The Maddie's voted out 1-0. Helen's voted out 3-1. Claire is a 4-0. Sarah is a 2-0. None of those tribal councils are close races between two contestants almost going home. Right. It's a group gets a majority and then everybody on the outside of that majority agrees to their plan because they don't want to get left outside the vote. I'm hoping we go to two tribes at some point, but in the 45 trailer, they've made it clear at this point that the next season is another three-tribe format, so I'll just need to get over it. See, I I think there's a big difference between three tribes to emerge 
two tribes to emerge and two tribes tr swap into three to emerge. I think two to three to merge. Sprinkle that in there. Jeff, <laughs> season the show with that. I like that. I want some of that. Yes, please. This kind of transitions well to the next twist, which is the tribe swap with idols. We have seen tribe swaps in the past, but this is the first time where they moved three players across tribes and gave them each an idol just for funsies because they wanted yeah. a, a correct idol play at tribal council. Before we talk about the details of this, I'll start with the pop quiz. Do you remember the three players that swap tribes? Of course I do. Okay. Oh, would you like me to name <laughs> yeah. them? Yeah, I'm ready. That's the, kind of the whole purpose of the pop quiz, dude. Well, it's obviously Carson. Yeah. Jamie. Yeah. And Josh. Wow. Okay, nice. In these questions, I've uh, interdispersed some pop quiz questions for you. This is a game show that I'm on right now. Yeah, to test your knowledge. You're passing so far. I know that one. You forgot that Samoa had two tribes instead of three, but that I can get over. That was a year ago. That was like four months ago. But <laughs> <laughs> So do you like uh, the tribe swap with the idols? I don't know, because it's a new thing. I, I like it as an experiment. I don't think they should do it again, because I think it would be kind of interesting to say, okay, there's a chance when there's a tribe swap. Now the door has been opened to there being an idol. I think that's interesting, but I don't think it needs to be a, a constant or an assumption at that stage i don't know or, or maybe the the three that are swapping play a challenge and the winner gets the, an idol and the other two don't get anything yeah that would have been better than what we got yeah you could do something interesting with it but just the arbitrary hey you three are gonna go to another island stick your hand in a bag walk down a mountain and you're in a different tribe it felt so arbitrary that i didn't like it flop my biggest complaint with it is if you swap tribes with the idol in your pocket, you are automatically in the minority. So playing that idol is a no question. And we saw that with Josh. He attends the one tribal council, plays the idol, and votes out Sarah. And I bet had Carson or Jamie attended a tribal with their new tribes, they would have done the same thing. Yeah. So that one we agree. Flop. Flop. Next one I have. Do you hear that music? Tss, tss, tss. It's Party Rock Island. <laughs> this is the twist where the players go to the island. They're forced to risk their vote at least once, and you can get an advantage. And on top of that, you can continue to draw cards and risk your vote at a second tribal council in order to get an advantage. Pop quiz, who are the three players that attended Party Rock Island? Oh, this one's harder. I think it was Lauren. Yeah. Matt. Yeah? Oh, who's the third? The third's the toughest one. Oh, the third, it's a, it's from Tika. Yeah. It's not Josh, is it? No, it's Sarah. Sarah! I'm happy that you got Matt from Party Rock Island, because this is the reason why Matt did not have a vote for, like, the entire first half of the game. <laughs> yeah, Matt's, uh, Matt's resume on this season was, uh, he both won... And just played almost a non-entity game, you know? Yeah, it wasn't entirely his fault, though. Like, it was a game of chance right. that he played, and he just ended up on the wrong side. Like, Lauren could have been yeah. in the exact same situation, but on her first draw, she got that uh, bank your vote advantage. Right. 
Do we like Party Rock Island? Do you want to see it come back? And see, here's here's my take on these kind of forced challenges, or not challenges, forced reward, uh, advantage, idol-y kind of things. I think there should be an element of play to it. And this one has a little bit because you're gambling technically, right? You don't get the chance to say no, and you don't really have the chance to like give yourself better odds. And so I think I would be more interested in this if there was a gameplay component. If both the Swap and Party Rock Islands included some form of challenge, T-Ball, then I think... <laughs> you want a challenge with these? That's the big thing that's missing? Just not the fact that production is forcing them to risk their vote. It's the fact that there isn't enough T-Ball in it. I think that if you said, okay, you three, go to Party Rock Island. You're going to play T-Ball. The winner gets an advantage. The second place gets one draw and a risk, or two draws and a risk. Third place, you can risk your stuff, but you have no guarantee. Uh, if you did something like that where there's a more competitive element and give the players a little more agency in their own outcome, then I would like it more. But as it is, flop. Yeah, I agree. This is a flop. If the players had the option to not play the game, then I would like it. But the fact that they're getting forced to risk their vote when they're in a tribe of just six people is kind of ridiculous yeah. to me. So, yeah. so far, we have a lot of flops on the board and one neutral. The next one I have is one that filled up the entire second episode of the season. It's the birdcage idols and the corresponding fake idols. Pop quiz, who are the three players that opened the birdcage and got the original idol? Carolyn. Yeah. Danny. Oh, boy. You don't remember number three? I I mean, I know it's from Ratu. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's Kane. That's incorrect. It's Brandon. It's Brandon. Oh, man. Brandon opened it up episode one and shared it with the entire tribe for literally no right. reason. <laughs> oh, with Maddie, Maddie the non-meme. Yeah. Uh, being right there. Yes. Oh, boy. Do we like the birdcage? Do we want to see it come back? I'm good. I didn't like it. Um, I think it had a lot of potential with the fakes, and none of it came to fruition. Yeah, none of the fakes ended up getting played or really doing anything. They all eventually got exposed for being fakes. So I think if we had seen those work the first time, that would have created a much more interesting precedent. But because the fakes didn't work... I don't think you can do this one again and have it be enjoyable or compelling in a competitive sense. So flop for me. I agree. It's a flop when you have the fake idol component with it. I think this would have been better if you open the birdcage, there's an idol in the bag and nothing else. And it's up to the players yeah. to figure out how they navigate that situation. What if you say, okay, there's a bag in a cage. You don't know what's in the bag. It could be an idol. It could be an advantage. It could be nothing. But there's only one item, and you've got to figure out what it is. Like, once that cage is open, somebody could have something. And I think that would be more interesting for sure. Yeah, I think when you include the whole fake idol component, it makes it more gimmicky. And the funny thing about these fake idols is that the most impactful fake idol of the game was the one that Matthew made. He did not get that from the birdcage. He made that right. on his own. 
Although the fakes had no impact, Carolyn's fake was planted on Sarah and she was voted out with it in her pocket. Brandon revealed the fake to everybody, so it never really did anything since everybody knew it was a fake. And Danny planted his fake on Matt and Matt later learned that it was a fake. So yeah, Matt figured it out, right? Yeah. So I think that proves that when you let the players have the basic resources and allow them to use their minds and use that creativity to make something happen, it creates a more interesting result, which is what we see with Matthew. So Birdcage Idol, another flop. I'll say Bob on that if they change it a little bit. So Birdcage will be in neutral. This game show is wild because just I just want to point this out. This game show is, hey, Jack, yes or no? And I say yes or no. And then you go, well, you forgot the third option, which is maybe with a modification. Yeah, okay, fine. (laughs) You're right. I guess I am cheating. I'll agree with you. In the current iteration of the birdcage, I will say flop and we'll lock this one in as a flop. You're right. It's not fair for me to change the twist and then make it a bop. (laughs) Yeah, for a lot of these twists, with some more twisting, it could be compelling and it just... It is flopping currently. See, I think we're more untwisting than twisting. You know what I mean? It's like we're easing off the twist and that makes it better as opposed to making it more complex. If you untwist something, you're just twisting it the other way. Oh, wow. Whoa. You should get that uh, typed up on a fancy poster of like a sunset or something. (laughs) We should sell that. We should open a merch store just to sell that poster. Yeah, I'm sure it it would do great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what's the next one? Uh, I just have a couple left. Next one is Mergatory, where at the final 12, you have everybody vote, and then six people are immune. Automatic flop. You didn't even think about it. Automatic flop. Yeah, that that was terrible. There's so much less tension when you go, okay, well, uh, we're all sitting here, but we all know it's one of you three, right? We all get to vote, and none of us have to worry about it today. Do you think that's better, though, for a new viewer? Like, if you don't follow Survivor that closely and you just tune in every week, it's probably easier to follow a tribal council where six people are vulnerable as opposed to all 12, right? It's messing with the standard format. And, like, if you could have it, keep the standard format. I I had such a hard time, I think, following the implications of it that um, even though it was less to keep track of, I was still trying to wrap my head around the concept. Okay, that's fair. I agree with you. This is a flop in my book. Flop. Next one, the inheritance advantage. This was acquired by Sarah in the pre-merge, and if she plays it at a tribal council, it allows her to inherit all idols and advantages played in that tribal. Bop if we had seen it. I agree. I think this is a bop. I see a scenario where it's completely overpowered and Sarah ends up inheriting like four advantages. Yeah, like it could have been awesome. Put it back in. Let's see it in action and then decide, right? Because I would love to see Sarah or somebody in the future, right? Getting four, you know, an idol and a couple advantages and then going, hey, you know, if you work with me, I'll give you a couple of these. Right. Oh, no way someone would give them up. You don't think that's overpowered to get that many advantages in one tribal? Well, let's let's see. Let's find out, right? Like, um, I I would like to see that happen at least one time because we haven't gotten to see the limits of that idol or even 
the idol itself, right? So, or that advantage. So I want to see it. I don't think you modify it at all. Just put it right back in the game and let's see what happens. I think you modify it such that instead of inheriting everything from a tribal, you would write down a contestant's name that you think is about to play something. And if they do, then you inherit whatever they play. Yeah, I mean, that's a good balance, but uh, I I want to see it in the most overpowered form first, just just to see. <laughs> Let's break the game first, and then we'll go with the bandages and fix it up. I mean, that's how, like, most game development works. Like, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, I'm down. Bop. You know what? You've convinced me. Bop. <laughs> yeah. I would like the asterisk change on it, but that's not allowed. So I guess I lean more bop than flop for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. The final 11 disaster. I don't even know if there's a name for this thing. This is the episode where they had the two teams compete for immunity and then there was the search for the keys and the control of vote with Heidi that oh whole fiasco God. the most confusing episode of the entire season the fact that we can't even distill it into a single concept immediate flop there is so much going on so much nonsense flop 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 except for the part the PBJ vomitorium except for that flop <laughs> oh my god the key chase that was so bad um Flop, flop, flop. Yeah, I agree. But probably the biggest flop of the season is the final 11 disaster. Uh, yeah. I hope we never see this again. Yeah. Last one yeah. I have is one that is not going away anytime soon, but I never asked for your opinion on this straight up. Final four fire making. Do you like having that challenge as opposed Ooh. to a straight up vote? I think I like it. Um, How long has fire making been a part of the show? Since uh, season 35. So it's got, it's fairly established. I think the fact that it's so established and it gives the per the person fourth place a chance, right? I think it, it sets up some potentially really interesting things. I think it's a, it's a bop. I give, I give fire making a bop. I like it. It gets a bop for me as well. I think, players are so hyper aware now that without fire making you would only have like two archetypes of winners you would have the under the radar winners the natalie whites the people that can just avoid the vote and get by and you would have the right. challenge beasts, the players that can win the final four immunity challenge and make it to the end and win it that way if you're a yeah. phenomenal strategist but you're not great at challenges more often than not you'll get voted out at the final four so i like that this twist gives players one final chance outside of just the final immunity challenge. Yeah. So that one's a bop. So I think in total we had like one or two neutrals, one or two bops, and then the rest flops. So <laughs> I think this is a good transition here. So so I think we should look at it from two perspectives. First, let's talk about where this season or what what the takeaways from this season should be from a production standpoint, and then I want to talk about from a player standpoint, but from a production standpoint, is there anything introduced here? Twists or just format or uh, challenges or whatever. What do you want to see again from 44? We talked about the twists that we want to see come back and the ones that we don't. I think the quality of the cast is something that should yeah. be maintained. The new era seasons have consistently had great casts. 
I'm hoping that with the 90-minute episodes, production can use those extra 30 minutes to learn more about the cast. I don't know if you felt this way, but this entire season, to me, felt like the story of Batika 3. That, I think, is the legacy of Survivor 44. Yeah. Because outside of the Tika 3, there were interesting characters, but many of them received really like low-tier edits. Like Going into the finale, right. Lauren and Heidi were almost invisible for the first like third of the season. Oh, yeah. And, and even towards the end there, there was a tribal where neither of them were shown answering a question from yeah. Jeff. So going into the finale, I feel like we kind of knew neither of them were winning. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a very good point. I think the cast is really good. I think, um, oh, I like how many injuries there were. I like a violent <laughs> season. Uh, what? I, I like how injured this cast was. I know that production doesn't have control over it, but having seen Samoa and 44, two, I think, on the high end of injury spectrums, right? Yeah, it's crazy that the two seasons that we've watched both included two medical evacuations. Yeah, so I've been set up to believe, like, my precedent in Survivor is that a couple people are going home uh, on stretchers, right? Uh, <laughs> which isn't an accurate read, but I think it adds to the stakes. I think it makes it feel more real. There is a point where the safety rails aren't that high, right? The bumpers yeah. on the bowling lane aren't always going to be up. Uh, this is a survival game, and you have to take it seriously and not just show up and and meditate and play yoga, do yoga. Uh, so I'm not in favor of people getting hurt, of course, but I think the it underscores the gravity of the undertaking these people are attempting, right, uh, in a very compelling way. So I'm not going to encourage those, but I wouldn't hate it if there were consistently two to five medevacs. Two to season. five? Okay, I just looked it up. <laughs> the record for most medical evacuations on a single season is three. We got close to that. And two and a couple other interventions. Oh, yeah. Like Brandon got checked out episode one because he was so dehydrated. I don't think Carson was ever looked at by a doctor. We didn't see it in the edit, at least. But Carson felt like he was going to go... I mean, we haven't hit on a big one for uh, production-wise that we need to see again. Say it with me, Clyde. I don't know what it is. Sanctuary, where good things happen. That's what you want to see again? I want the sanctuary to get the hell out of here. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, we need, especially if they're going to be longer episodes, give us compelling rewards where we get to see these people, like, really loosen up and not just get their feet massaged in the same hut. Like the sanctuary adds to that entire feeling of Survivor looking like Mario Party where it's very standardized, where whenever there's a reward, yeah. you always go to this same place. I want there to be some variability from episode to episode and from season to season. Yeah. And one major way you can do that is through these rewards. I tell you what I would love to see as a reward. Have you ever seen those um, like water jetpack things that people do like off of docks you want them to do that as a reward i think it'd be hilarious to see a reward where they just go out on the beach and they're just like we matthew got injured climbing a rock 
Bruce got injured going underneath a beam. You think they can handle going on a water jetpack? It's called flyboarding, apparently. Okay. I looked it up. I want Jeff to go, and there's a reward. And then Carson goes, God, I hope it's carrot cake. And Jeff points out <laughs> at the ocean, and a pirate ship comes around the corner. Let's get crazy again, please. Yeah, let's have the contestants drive the pirate ship like they did in Samoa when they were blasted. <laughs> yeah, yes. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I want to talk about casting. Overall, would you say this was a memorable cast? And we've talked about this a bit, but yeah. who do you expect to come back and play again? Uh, yeah, let's lock it in. Uh, I'm expecting Carson to come back in a decade. Uh, I think Carson will be a while. I think Jam Jam, yeah, Jam Jam will come back. I think all three of the Tika members will come back. Outside of them, I'd like to see Franny come back. Because we have the Tika three and Bruce, who's a lock. So if you add anybody yeah. else, we're up to five. Because I think I might just lock in that group of four and nobody else outside of it to return. I think those four are locked in. Okay, for one thing... This is yet another game show where I don't know the rules. I didn't know I had to lock in my choices. I think Tika 3 and Bruce, Bruce is obviously guaranteed, but Tika 3 are a lock, and I would like to see Franny come back. I'd also like to see Lauren come back, but those are more me being hopeful. Who do you think is more likely between Franny and Lauren? I think Lauren's more likely, but we'll see. Okay, so we got the Tika 3 plus Bruce. I want to talk about each of them individually on a returning season how, how do you think each of them would fare when they come back and play again we can go through one by one starting with bruce since he is going to be the most recent return here's what i think about bruce we've got no clue i know you're kind of down on bruce coming back right uh yeah but i think the fact that he goes out on night one bruce does not spend the night on a beach in fiji he spends the night in a hospital bed in fiji Bruce is not familiar with what the survivors do for breakfast. Uh, so his experience on the show, even though he's been on the show, is as limited as it possibly could be. I know there's a bias in returning players in mixed seasons, right? But I don't think he really counts as a returning player. Like, somebody's going to say, Bruce, what's it like to be back? And he's like, I can't wait to spend the night. I can't wait to wake up on the island, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't think there's going to be a big backlash against him, and I don't think he's going to go out early. And honestly, we didn't get to see any, like, social play from him. So I'm, I can't make a prediction about how much of a run he'll make because uh, we just don't know anything about him except that he's from Rhode Island and he has, like, six less IQ points than he did before Survivor 44. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, thanks, to, thanks, thanks to a little bit of CTE, right? Well, I can tell you right now my prediction. I can tell you what's going to happen with Bruce. This guy's going home in the pre-merge. That's a lock for okay. me. The combination of being the oldest player on his tribe, he's the second oldest on the entire uh, 45 cast, and having the reputation of being a technical returnee will be enough for other players to target him. I think it's more likely that Bruce is the first boot of the season than it is oh. that he's the winner of the season. Because this has happened one other time in Survivor history where a player competed in two seasons and was the first boot in both of them. I think Bruce could be joining that elite club. That's on the board. I mean, I can't imagine anything more devastating than this dude from Rhode Island traveling all the way to Fiji twice 
and both times coming home after two days. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be kind of funny, but I'd also feel absolutely terrible for him. So the expectation is low. How about uh, Jam Jam? How do you think he would do on a returning season? I think Jam Jam would be so fun to watch on, on a returning season, and it would have to be an all-returning player's season for him to have any shot of making it to the merge. Because I think he's such a big threat. I think he goes really fast in a new player season. Yeah, well, he'll have the reputation of a past winner when he does come back. Yeah. I think Jam Jam gets voted out in the pre-merge next time he plays. Do you think that depends? Like, do you think it depends on the cast? No. I'm pretty confident that unless it's an all-winners season or a season where you have, like, a third of them being winners there's a good chance Jam Jam's an early boot because he'll have a massive reputation going in. And the biggest strength of Jam Jam's game is his social play, right? But in that early pre-merge, the most important thing is your physical ability and challenges. So I think players might look at Jam Jam and say, we're not winning challenges. He doesn't help us too much. And we know he can win this game if he reaches the end. Let's get rid of him now. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I think it's another argument for Jam Jam to host the after show for Survivor (laughs) Um, because I love him. I want to see Jam Jam on my television like on a regular basis, like Stanley Tucci in the Hunger Games, right? Yeah. Uh, Because I just think he's a delight. I'm psyched to see him back, but I don't think it'll be for a while. Uh, What do you think about... Let's talk about Carolyn. What do you think? How do you feel about Carolyn? If Carolyn comes back, I would not be surprised if she reaches the final tribal again and loses. Wow. That's a huge prediction, dude. I think she's a contestant that other players will look at and say, based on her play style, she is naturally fighting an uphill battle because there is a stigma amidst contestants that if you are playing emotionally, you are not playing strategically. And as much as people might right. want to say that they're able to look past that stigma, I think it's still embedded in their mind somewhere. Uh-huh. I can totally see a high-quality player looking at Carolyn and saying, I want to take Carolyn to the end. I have a history of Carolyn playing very loyally when Carson and Jam Jam flip on her on the Franny elimination. She never seeks revenge. Right. She works with them for the rest of the season and never tries to stab them in the back. So I think she's a very loyal person that a high quality player would want to take to the end, knowing that she would never, you know, deviate from their plan. That's a compelling argument for that use case or that that uh, outcome. And that means we would get an an entire season of more Carolyn squawks. And you know what that would be great for is our TikTok account (laughs) at Survivor Analytics. Uh, Check it out. You agree that she would make a deep run on a return? It's hard to gauge, right? I think um, as somebody who's never seen a returning player, my inclination would be, oh, Carolyn somehow bumbled her way to the end and she's not going to help us in challenges. I take her out pre-merge. For similar reasons to Jam Jam, with the exception of, like, she's not going to win at the end, but hey, maybe Carolyn makes it to the final twice is a compelling enough story for her to win at the end, you know? That's fair. So I would go for her in the pre-merge. I don't love the odds of, unless it's an all-winners or all-finalist season, I think that 
added weight of her placement in her first season uh, works against her. Last one we have is Carson. Does he do well when he comes back? What do you think? No. No. Carson's gone quick. Really? Wait, why? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Carson's absolutely gone quick. Carson is gone as soon as the merge hits. Carson carries a team to the merge, and then they dump him immediately. That's what I see happening. He's really good at the game, and I think everyone there knows, unless you can guarantee he's go he's in the fire making, and he can get curb stomped again, and his com his uh, opponent sets another record, except for that situation. If Carson sees the final four, Carson wins the game. So I dump him as soon as the merge hits, and he can't carry me in challenges anymore. Man, I think you're selling Carson short. When he comes back, he's going to know so many puzzles. He'll probably have 60 pounds of muscle on him because he'll have so much time to prepare. I think he'll be an unstoppable force. <laughs> I would I would love Carson to come back and win the game. That would make me so happy. Out of all of the returning players that we've built up, like potential returning players that we built up in the new era, Carson is probably one of my favorites that I would be rooting for. But I can totally see what you're saying, yeah. where he carries his tribe through the pre-merge, and then when the merge hits, they start knocking off the big threats, and he's one of the ones to go. Yeah, he's a huge threat. I mean, I, I was pretty down on Carson towards the end of his tenure in Survivor 44. I, I you know, lambasted him for his fire-making performance. But up to that point, he was a pretty unstoppable force. And unfortunately... A new tribe that knows he was an unstoppable force will do everything they can to stop him. Yeah. We will see. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Kind of going along with casting, we've touched on this a little bit. I want to talk about the legacy of the Tika 3. I went back yeah. and looked at some of the best alliances in Survivor history. This might be mm. the best trio in the history of the franchise. Wow. I think working in an alliance of three is inherently difficult because in a two-person alliance, it's pretty clear. It's buddy-buddy. Uh, no one else to really worry about. In a four-person alliance, it typically functions as two pairs where you have your number one within that alliance and you know at some point you'll need to flip on the other two. Having an odd number in a three-person alliance is tough to keep intact because there's always a concern that you could be number three on the totem pole. Yet this group was able to right. stick together all the way up until the final four. I, I would throw out that a big part of that is that there's a pretty consistent understanding that Carolyn is number three on the totem pole. You think so? I feel like Jam Jam talks all the time about Carolyn being this massive threat that he wants to get rid of at some point. Right. So she's the bottom one on the totem pole. Like, I think if the hierarchy of the totem pole is whoever's on the bottom is the first one to get dumped, right? The other two dump the third one. I think there's a an inclination for Carson and Jam Jam to, I mean, they vote without her, right? Yeah. On the Franny vote. They discuss whether or not to get rid of her at final five. They don't do it, right? But they do discuss it. And Carson sees her as a threat, uh, or Jam Jam sees her as a threat, and Carson wants to keep her. They keep that trio together, as long as they can, despite that. So I do think it is an accomplishment. You know, cracks showed, you know, it wasn't flawless, but 
I think it's a stronger alliance because of that, you know? Yeah. Do you think Carson was the glue of that trio then? The person preventing Jam Jam from flipping on Carolyn? Because I get the sense that there wasn't necessarily a glue guy at that group. It felt more like each individual had a personal connection to every other individual. Yeah, I think there were times where it felt like Carson was the glue, and then there were times where it was just a free-for-all. So I think Carson was more glue than anybody else, but it's a low bar. Yeah. The other really unique aspect of this alliance is I feel like every member is captivating on their own. Like, you could have split Carson, Jam Jam, mm. and Carolyn across the three tribes, and they would have shined individually. But when you put them all together, they create this really entertaining product. I think that's what separates the Tika 3 from other alliances. Like, if we look at the Foa Foa 4 from Samoa, yes, you have Russell and Jason, who I think are really compelling characters, but there's also Mick and Natalie, yeah. who are pretty bland <laughs> confessional. They, it's a great cast, or a great trio. I'm a big fan of them, to be honest. Yeah, it'll be interesting whenever there is a returning player season, seeing how many members of the Tika 3 production will allow into a single season. I doubt they'll put all three of them in, but I would not be surprised if they include two. I think that they'll do two, but not three. That's interesting. That's a big shot. Yeah, and if they do yeah. two of them, then it's a major disadvantage for those players because one of them will probably get targeted due to those potential alliances. Absolutely. I mean, I think if the two of them show up in a season, they're probably like, hey, can we not do this? Like, it's great to see each other, but we are, like, I think even Carolyn has enough sense to go, this was not a good idea for us. Like, <laughs> this is a very uphill battle for us. And I think I asked you this earlier, so. but do you like Tika 3 more than Foe Foe 4? Because you gave them a tough time. You called them the Tika turds a lot in the early game. I do think I liked Foa Foa better, but the dynamics are so different that it feels weird to compare them. Foa Foa was so much of Russell running the show, and Tika was kind of this friendship is power little wonderland uh, a lot of the time. And so it feels weird to compare them, but I liked the dynamic of Russell running his little gang better than uh tika's sort of kumbaya yeah nonsense burp in my mouth kumbaya yeah do you feel like we were robbed by the fact that the tika <laughs> members never actually flipped on each other like carson's the only one that gets booted and that's because of heidi i mean i think it was a shame that so many times they got close to it carson and or carolyn and jam jam went up against each other multiple times I thought it was going to happen multiple times, and it just didn't. So I do think we were robbed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the season would have been more interesting had we seen that group crack at some point. Because there were points in the post-merge where I loved watching that Tika alliance, but it was frustrating seeing all of these other contestants letting the Tika members run strategic circles around them. Like even like Franny at one point says, oh, we should target the Tika members. They're playing the middle. And Danny shuts Franny down and says, no, no, we need them right now. And Franny ended up having the right read. Along with the cast, we can talk about the winner a little bit. You talked about last episode that you're happy with Jam Jam winning. I agreed with you on yeah, that. I am happy. Yes. What do you think is the legacy or the lesson that's left behind with the Jam Jam win? 
see, I, I, this, this pivots into some of the stuff I, I want to focus on here towards the tail of the show, which is, and, and I talked about this last week, uh, Jam Jam's win is so uniquely Jam Jam or feels that way to me, right? So I, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Oh, okay. Is, is Jam Jam's incredible social play like his social play powers him to the end it is his level and brand of social play it feels to me very uniquely jam jam and like nobody else could do it like he did how do you feel about it is there a precedent for a, a social player like jam jam kind of doing this friendship is magic but also with a very keen eye for deception has something like this happened before? I think so. I've seen players have a better social game than Jam Jam with different personalities. I think what makes Jam yeah. Jam's run so unique is his unique persona. I think he's a really interesting winner in that when I look back on this season in 10 years, I'm not going to remember a specific strategic move by Jam Jam or an idol play because his actual gameplay is not that flashy. He never finds an idol and he never finds an advantage. He plays a right. very old school game in that way where he just found a way to operate from the majority and navigate the game in a co-leader position with Carson. He will be remembered more as a character than a survivor player. And this might be me being an asshole, and I'm prefacing with, the, with that. Okay. But there are contestants in Survivor history that are, like, so beloved on a personal level, on a personal level, that fans will lose sense of their actual quality as a player. But over time, this leads to the player getting overrated, and I would not be surprised if in 10 years I see some random list online of the top 10 Survivor players, and someone puts Jam Jam in there, which is absurdly high. So yeah. I think he's a probably top 30 all-time Survivor player. That's pretty good. Yeah, that is really good. I don't think he's in that top 10, you know, all-time great legendary status position. Maybe he can get right. there in a return. But I have a feeling people will look back on Jam Jam with, what's the phrase? Like rose-colored glasses? Is that what it is? Rose-tinted glasses. Rose-tinted yeah. glasses. Yeah. And, yeah, you're close and enough. think he was a better player than he actually was. And he's still a great contestant. I think he's probably the second best strategist of the season right behind Carson. The biggest lesson that kind of comes from Jam Jam is be yourself, which is really wholesome. And you can always come back. I think Jam Jam's win is the story of the comeback kit. He was on the bottom in the initial merge and... He was able to re-ingratiate with the majority and end up running the course of the game from like the final 10 onwards. So it gives hope to yeah. those players that enter the merge with the numbers disadvantage. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I, I think so. So let's take that lesson, right? There's always hope, you know, be yourself. Clyde, you've stated before previously that you you would like to go on the show one day. Yeah. As somebody who is a scholar of the game, I mean, I think at this point we can both state we are scholars to varying degrees of Even this you, game. Even you, the voice of the people, does that elevate you from that title? I think at a certain point of hours per week spent discussing something, you become a scholar of it. So I'm not saying I'm on the same level as you. I mean, if you've got the PhD in Survivor, I'm like working on my associates, but... <laughs> um, 
but I, I, I'm a student. You're, I'm a student. You're a scholar, right? Okay. Uh, but here's my question. You, as an aspirational player, what do you take away? What, what little moments or strategies or uh, social angles did you watch in this season and go, ooh, I'm going to mentally save that and put it in my little mental toolbox as something to do? Right in the post show after the finale, Franny has a very cute moment where she talks about her mom had put together like a 10 step plan for her to win Survivor. Are there any strategies or moves in this season that seem to you like 10 step winning moves? Moves by Jam Jam or moves in general? Moves in general. I'll keep it focused on Jam Jam just because his moves actually led to a win. It's easiest to pinpoint okay. things that he did. I would say yeah. the biggest strategic lessons to take away from this season. One is put time into developing relationships with players such that when you stab them in the back, you are able to reconnect with them. I think one of Jam Jam's mm -hmm. best moments of the entire season is when he votes out Franny at the final eight and he's able to convince Carolyn to not flip on them at the final seven. Right. When at that point, it should have been blatantly clear for Carolyn that she's third on the totem pole. She needs to make a move happen to distinguish her game from the other two and she never does it. And I think that's due to those social relationships and that time put in by Carson and Jam Jam. So that's one major yeah. move. Uh, the other one is using your personality to connect with people and blind them from the best move at that particular point in time. So at the final six, we had the Tika three plus Lauren, Jamie, Heidi, right? Right. And going into that round, we said that if a Tika member reaches the end, they're probably going to win. So the best move at that stage of the game was for those three non-Tikas to come together and try to make something happen and navigate to the final three with that unit. And Jam Jam is able to connect with Heidi. We get a lot of confessionals from Heidi throughout the season where she talks about how close she feels to Jam Jam. So I give him the majority of credit for convincing Heidi to side with the Tika members and vote out Jamie, which means that at the final five, yeah. Tika has the numbers advantage and Heidi and Lauren basically have zero winning combinations. So those are the two big lessons. It was uh, rebuilding relationships and also using your personality to connect with people to want to go to the yeah. end with you and blind them from the best strategic move. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think those are, are very fair uh, takeaways for Jam Jam. But I, I want to go a little broader. You know, I know that, that these other toolkits didn't necessarily lead to a win, but would you like consider getting a 3d printer and following in Carson's footsteps, right? Yeah, 100%. I expect 50% or more of future survivor players to have practiced the puzzles and the challenges ahead of time, which is not necessarily what I want in an entertainment product. But if they're going to format the game that way, it makes complete sense on the player's part. Wait, can I ask you a challenge related question? Please. You're the big challenge guy between the two of us. I don't big care about challenge them guys. as yep. much. What was your favorite challenge on the season? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Okay, so this is a controversial one. 
I really liked the one that a whole bunch of them copped out of uh, to guarantee they got some rice. The one where they're balancing the bowling pin ball. <laughs> they're like holding yeah. the ball up above their heads. I loved that one. I thought it had a ton of potential and ended up being sort of disappointing. Who ended up winning that one? I think Franny. Yeah. I think that was Franny's second win. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the one where Danny got second place for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I liked the Sweat Savvy to go way back to the beginning. Uh, I thought both sides of that were really compelling. And Does that count as a challenge? I mean, like, they're doing an activity for consequences, so I would say yes. Okay. I mean, yeah, I think it would have to be one of the endurance ones because, I mean, there wasn't really a t-ball or a bowling or, you know, one of those other classic survivor challenges that exists in the real world as well. Uh, I would go with um, the bowling pin one because I thought that was pretty compelling. My favorite is uh, the last gasp, the waterboarding challenge where they're in the ocean. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yes, that's my favorite. That was awesome. What? You're hopping on the bandwagon? <laughs> I mean, I'd completely forgotten about it. I knew I was missing one. Okay. That one I liked a lot. Um, and that's Jam Jam's only immunity win. Those were just about all the questions that I had. Were there any major things that you wanted to hit on? I can tell you where I rank this season all time. Yes. L let's do that. Where in your rankings of all 44 seasons up to this point? Where does number 44 fall? So after some careful deliberation, I put season 44 at the number 17 spot. So I think it's slightly above average. It's ahead of Samoa, which I have at 22. I think what really carries this season is the final 10 onward. Once you get through that first third with all the bullshit twists, it settles down. You get some classic Survivor. And there's some interesting yeah. votes. I don't know if there's any crazy tribal councils that I'll remember forever, but the cast is solid and the moves are good. Hold on. Hold on. There's one tribal that I'll remember forever, and that's Jamie's shot in the dark in episode one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that historic move. Oh, can I ask a question? Yeah. Why does nobody ever use a shot in the dark again in the season? Do they stop working after a certain point? The shot in the dark expires at the final seven. So that's the last round that you can use it. Oh. Players use it after JB, though. Claire uses it in her elimination uh, in episode three. But it doesn't hit. And Claire actually played it correctly, which upset me. But I can get over I, it. See, I, I would find that to be a much more compelling element if more people used it. But maybe we'll see more of that in the fall. Yeah. Are we ready to put 44 to bed? Yeah, unless there's anything else that you want to hit on. I, I mean, I think I'm good. I think we've learned our lessons. I think we've given the production all the feedback they need. Uh, I think we've given future players all of the tools they're going to need from this season. Nice. So there's only one thing left to do, and that's decide what season are we watching next. So the first time that we watched a season on this podcast, I was the dictator of the operation. I put my yes. stake in the ground and said, we are watching Survivor Samoa. It was the first season that I watched and I'm forcing you to watch it too, Jack. But now we've yes. upgraded to more of a democracy. <laughs> or maybe it's just a dictatorship in the other direction where you're deciding the next one. Well, I think it's still a dictatorship that you're in charge of because you gave me a, a set of three to pick from. So 
Uh, I don't have carte blanche. I have carte three, um, which is <laughs> French for three options. And I've been going back and forth. Well, so what were the three options? Do you want to cover them? Here are the three options. Survivor, the Australian Outback, which I understand to be season two. Yeah. Uh, they don't have the numbers with all the seasons, which I think for our purposes is an important factor. So then there's Survivor China. And what season is that? That is season 15. 15. So that is um, a few before Samoa. Yeah. And then we have Cook Islands. Which is season 13. Season 13. So I sent you the trailers for each of those seasons. Were there any moments that stood out to you that caused you to sway one way or another? Oh, man. So, I mean, we just got to put the tiger on the table and yell at it. Um, Cook Islands has the most wild opening format Yep. <laughs> the tr- it's not so what you sent me is not a trailer. It's the opening of the first episode. Uh and maybe that's what they used as a trailer. But first we see the is it uh 18 contestants on Cook Islands? Yeah. Cook Islands I think is 20 because there's four tribes of 5. Okay, so we see the 20 contestants on an old-timey ship and immediately my brain goes, "Ooh, I like this. This is a good sign for Jack." Uh, because I liked the old-timey ship on Samoa. And all all of these contestants have to essentially scramble as Jeff monologues to grab as many supplies as they can to take with them to the island with their tribe, right? Yeah. And so Jeff is monologuing, explaining this. <laughs> oh, God. Um, he's explaining that why they're all grabbing stuff and frantically throwing chickens into the ocean and all of this, right? Yeah. And then he goes, and here's how we did the tribes. It's by race. And I went, hold the phone, Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, oh. There's four tribes and they literally did it by racial identity. Um, in 2006, did you say? Yeah, I think um, so. Uh, Jeff, it's a strange choice by production. It's a wild choice. It's still controversial now, all these years later. I I mean, I am stunned. It's strange because on one hand, it's this very odd decision. But on the other hand, this is one of the most diverse old school survivor casts. Like we noticed when we watched Samoa, there were very few people of color. So it's right. odd that one of the few times that they have a diverse cast is when it's like an innate part it's of a the gimmick. theme. Yeah. Oh boy. So that gave me some uh, hesitation. I'll say, <laughs> fair. Uh, the Australian Outback. That's season two, right? It it's so far back. And that interests me as a scholar of the game to see the origins, you know, to go back and take my little toothbrush and brush off the dust on the, you know, shards of pottery and go, hmm, where did all of this come from? If there's a gimmick to each of these seasons, right? Cook Islands, it's, hey, uh, we got pretty racial on this one. Australian Outback, the gimmick seems to be you're in the Outback and it's a very dangerous place, which is cool. Yeah, the focus seems to be more on the survival elements in season two. Yeah. And China, the gimmick seems to be, you're in China. Uh, have you heard of China? It feels like they 
here's my prediction about China, uh, Survivor China. It had to be somewhat around the Beijing Olympics because it feels like a cultural tourism documentary, like the opening of the show feels like a documentary for the entire concept of China. Like there is so much of Jeff talking about like, this is a civilization that's been around for 5,000 years. So much culture. They're going to be in the shadow of this uh, uh, ancient Buddhist temple. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Because yeah, Beijing Olympics was 2008, right? Yeah. Yeah. And China came out in 2007. So because they definitely had the location announced by then. So it was just a year away. Yeah. It, it really felt like it was um, uh, trying to capitalize on that especially since cbs doesn't do the olympics that's nbc like this felt like their attempt to uh ride that wave you know yeah to beat the viewership numbers on the olympics you think that was the well, goal to get some of them oh to, okay. to pick up some of them right like someone turns on the tv and they see china and they're like oh is this the olympics and then they realize it's survivor <laughs> it's like how there was a period in like the middle 20 teens where almost every action movie had a scene in Dubai. Like, there's oh, a Fast yeah. and the Furious movie where they crash through the, through the uh, Burj Khalifa. And then there's the Mission Impossible where they do the same thing, you know? Yeah. It kind of feels like uh, in the tw- in the 20-teens, it feels weird to say that, uh, it was Dubai, and in the aughts, it was China. But, uh, oh, and also in the Survivor China, there's a moment, and I have to highlight this, as we're introduced to the cast, Jeff is listing off their professions. And there's some some wild ones. So he's like, oh, we have an honor student from the University of Southern Carolina. South Carolina, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a grave digger from Louisiana. I didn't think that was a, a job still, but okay. Uh, there's a middle school lunch lady, and we see her crying as she looks at a photo. Um, which kind of a brutal immediate edit. And then <laughs> back to back, we get a Christian radio talk show host. Oh boy. Okay. And then a gay Mormon flight attendant. And Jeff didn't feel the need to bring up like sexuality or religion for anyone else. Except those two back to back. Yeah. Back to back. I mean, I keep going back and forth, right? Uh, Australian Outback, I think, might be really rough just because it's so old. China, I think, could be pretty compelling. Uh, I, I'm kind of excited to see what the gay Mormon flight attendant is like because uh, <laughs> that one character is compelling you. Yeah, uh, and the gravedigger from Louisiana. That's that sounds very interesting to me. Uh, and then Cook Islands. I'm like. There's a part of me that's like, oh, I want to go watch another episode with a nice, diverse cast. Like, that's great. And then I'm also, I don't know. I, I've been going back and forth on it all day. Yeah, it's diverse almost for the wrong reasons. Like, Yeah. But I think it's time for me to make a choice. I'm ready. This is such a fateful moment because what you have to realize, dear listeners, is whatever I say next, I'm stuck with until uh, I will like celebrate a birthday. This is how I'm ending my 24th year of life is committing to one of these seasons. Yeah. Well, this is a three month commitment basically. Yeah. So I've got to make a pick right here and it's a big one. I'm going to pick, 
I'm China. Let's do China, dude. Okay. I'm feeling it. I'm ready, dude. Let's get ready for the Olympics. <laughs> People got so excited about those Olympics and they were a big deal. And I remember them. I mean, I was 10. I remember that opening ceremony better than any other Olympic event in my lifetime. Uh, oh, yeah. That opening ceremony was wild. I will let you know, China is widely regarded as a top 10 all-time season. Oh, I like that you waited until I chose it. Uh, Me personally, I'm not as high on it as some other people, but people that like China love China. So okay, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, at that point in Survivor history, there had been a good number of seasons underneath the franchise's belt, so immunity idols exist but there's no advantages. I like that. I like that. I think that's enough for me. Yeah. You know, nice, nice, simple, but I'm psyched, especially from just the opening. I think this is going to be uh, one of the more beautiful seasons of Survivor, uh, scenically. What they show, at least in the opening of the Lake of a Thousand Waters or something like that. Um, yeah. No, A Thousand Islands. Lake of a Thousand Islands, that yeah. makes more sense. I'm pretty sure there's more than like a thousand water par particles in there. <laughs> One would hope. Uh, it looks jaw-droppingly beautiful. And so I'm really excited that even in the old square screen format, I think it'll look pretty cool. Yeah, we'll need to put on our glasses. The HD days are over for us. We've had two HD seasons. We're going back in time. Oh, boy. Well, that's about everything I wanted to cover. Any last things you want to hit on? Uh, well, we have put a bow on number two for good, and now we know where we're going next. So, uh, congrats, and let's uh, let's hop on a plane to China, Clyde. <laughs> Will do. Okay, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>